everybody. Welcome to Deep Dive with Shane and Amy. I'm Shane. I'm Amy. This week, we're going to talk about being on the frontier, boldness, and Amy? Fun. All right. So our scripture this week comes to us from Isaiah chapter 60, verses 1 through 9. Arise, shine, your light has come, the Lord's glory has shone upon you. Though darkness covers the earth and gloom the nations, the Lord will shine upon you. God's glory will appear over you. Nations will come to your light and kings to your dawning radiance. Lift up your eyes and look around. They are all gathered. They have come to you. Your sons will come from far away and your daughters on caregivers' hips. Then you will see and be radiant. Your heart will tremble and open wide because the sea's abundance will be turned over to you. The nation's wealth will come to you. Countless camels will cover your land. Young camels from Midian and Ephah, they will all come from Sheba, carrying gold and incense, proclaiming the Lord's praises. All Kadar's sheep will be gathered for you. Rams from Nebaoth will be your offerings. They will be accepted on my altar, and I will glorify my splendid house. Who are these who fly like a cloud, like doves to their shelters? I'm the hope of the coastlands. Ships from Tarshish are in the lead to bring your children from afar. Their silver and gold with them for the name of the Lord your God and for the Holy One of Israel who has glorified you. I can't hear anyone say Tarshish anymore. Tarshish. Without, Tarshish. Which, yeah, it's a, it's a tongue mm-hmm. twister a little bit. I can't hear anyone was saying it without hearing the voice of the Veggie Tales people in my head because of the because <laughs> the Jonah movie. Oh, yeah. he's going to Tarshish, Tarshish or whatever whatever the voice is. I, I apologize to anyone who had to hear me do that voice, but I can't I can't hear anyone mm-hmm. do that with more without just going into my mind. Yeah, it's a yeah. hard one, Tarshish. Yep. Tarshish. Yep. Mm-hmm. There's one too many H maybe. So you started off the sermon this week talking about resolutions and how you don't do them. Or don't like them, or maybe yours is not to have resolutions. Yeah, like yeah, that's good. That's a good way to say it because I, I feel like I'm I, I'm covering every base uh-huh. this year. So I'm like, on one hand, I'm claiming I'm not doing one mm-hmm. um, because I'm terrible at them, and I just never see them through. And I think the reason is I always make mine to like big pie in the mm-hmm. sky. Like, mm-hmm. This is the life changing year. year. Eat better, exercise better, great attitude, all that. Like just these unaccomplishable goals is I think what I normally do. And so I just gave up on that a year ago. But I do like making like yeah. unhealthy mm. resolutions. Maybe oh. not maybe not unhealthy, <laughs> but I'll say that like, so I've made one this year and I, I've, it's almost been like a joke between my wife and I. It's like, I resolved this year to play more video games. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And the reason is, it's just because it's for me. I'll enjoy it. I'm not really, I don't play a lot of video games. We don't even, it's not like we have an Xbox or PlayStation at home. It's, I bought the new Star Wars game and I'm playing it. And so I'm giving myself permission to enjoy that because I really do enjoy it. And so I've never wasted a lot of time on video games, but I do enjoy them. And so Mm -hmm. that type of resolution, that's fine. Or like if you wanted to make a resolution to eat more candy, I'm all in favor of that. But all these like (laughs) resolutions that are just a new you instantaneously, man, that does not work for my personality. Mm -hmm. And 
I don't think it works for a lot of personalities because I think the overall like fail rate of most, it's got to be like 99%. Yeah. And a lot of times like it's by like February, right? Like that very beginning of February. And it's like, oh, well that never happened. So you put me on the hot speed. How about you? Do you do resolutions? I do not care for resolutions. You don't? Okay. Okay. No, I do not do that either. I don't even have a fun one. Oh, okay. <laughs> I think mine may actually be I don't do resolutions. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I think that's a perfectly acceptable one. Yeah. 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 I mean, as far as using the end of the year for introspection sure. and thinking about who you want to be, by all means do it. Yeah. But, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You can dream about those things yeah, yeah. without saying I will accomplish these. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. 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 And I, I think you can even set them. I just, to me, I just don't, I don't like seeing people and I, and I say this like, an act of self-parenting here. I don't like see, seeing people make these goals and then fail and beat themselves up. Right. Absolutely. It's just, you know, I don't know. We're human beings. We're destined for failure. You know, and shouldn't beat ourselves <laughs> up about that to some degree. <laughs> well, and I think you, I think you run the risk. Actually, we're talking a lot about the resolutions, but I think you're running the risk too of maybe giving up too soon on something that you should be working on. Mm-hmm. If you start yeah. to feel like that's slipping away and like, Oh, well that's done for this year. I'll try again next yeah. year. Yeah. And I, I think there's an interesting component too, to relate it back to our faith is I, you know, faith, faith should be always characterized as a practice, something that's mm-hmm. never perfected. Um, mm-hmm. You know, apologies to the Methodist out there who think it's possible to perfect uh, mm-hmm. the, those of you that are remaining that think it is possible per, to perfect, but as a practice, it certainly has a communal element. And so like, you know, this is why, I, you know, not only to glorify God, but this is why I, I participate in that weekly rhythm of coming mm-hmm. back to worship as Presbyterians in a Reformed tradition. That's why it's so important for us to confess every week because we realize all these ways that we've we've fallen short, we've missed the mark, uh, and and realize that we need you know both correction from that process, but also the the experience of a larger community to share their experiences. And so, a resolution doesn't really. Unless it's a resolution, maybe somebody's done in a small group or something like that or an accountability group. But, um, yeah, yeah, I think that's why don't do it. So you took the opportunity with the sermon to be able to share some data that's come out recently, kind of looking back over the last decade. So I wonder if you could talk a little bit more about that. Yeah, I'll link to this down in the show notes because I'm not going to be able to pull up all the specifics right here, but it's relating to this uh, Pew study that looked Mm -hmm. at the last decade in American and religion and in particular uh, Christianity. And um you know, I think it's all numbers people have heard before. Mm-hmm. I mean, everybody's realized the cultural trend of, you know, less people being frequent church, church tenders, less people actually identifying Christian. You know, it's kind of been a thing for the last couple of years to talk about the rise of the nuns, the, nuns. the N-O-N-E-S, not the N-U-N-S, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, you know, the people that claim no religious affiliation. It's interesting that always comes alongside of the studies that talk about millennials' relationship to spirituality and being a high spirituality uh, generation, but not necessarily identifying anything in particular. Um, but I think everyone, in some ways, we might have gotten used to those statistics. I, I've, I've used mm-hmm. that phrase in the sermon where I said, um, you know, accustomed to death. Uh, you know, it's actually in a book I've read recently that used that term. And I, mm-hmm. I think that's really what's implied um, in the prophet here, that he's dealing with the people that are accustomed to failure and disillusionment. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think if you step back and when you're able to look at it, what has happened in a decade to American Christianity, 
It's shocking. Mm -hmm. Um, I I think it's a 12 to 13 point decline in Mm -hmm. people who regularly attend church, a corresponding 12 to 13 point decline in people who even identify as Christians. Um, And so if you actually put in that in the context of the total number of Christians, it's 18 and a half percent decline in the church in 10 years. You know, a rough estimate, one in five people just left Mm -hmm. and never came back. And most of those people are people that are Gen X or younger. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, because the older, oldest generation, boomers and, and the silent generation largely have held pretty strong in their attendance, you know, at upper 80 percent for for, um, you know, our builder generation, silent generation. And so I, I, to me, that should be setting off alarm bells in the mm-hmm. church about like something is going on here um, that can't just be explained by Protestant low birth rate. Right. Uh, you know, because it's actually people leaving the church uh, mm-hmm. altogether. I, I reference in our denomination, the Presbyterian Church USA, we're losing about, I believe, 40,000 yep. people a year. That's correct. But, but we're losing those because there are members that are dying. And so mm-hmm. we're, we're not even offsetting those. I mean, not even making a dent in those losses uh, by, you know, new, making new disciples, baptisms, births, all those sort of things. And so it's just shocking. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, maybe it's going to plateau out. I, I don't know. But either way, it says something is going on. And, and to me, the church needs to examine, you know, what she's doing uh, about this. Mm-hmm. You know, we should always be seeking to make disciples, but it's almost like we just forgot about that for mm-hmm. a generation. So that's really interesting because I think there's maybe a combination of we've heard these numbers so many times that mm-hmm. we're a little bit numb with them. But I wonder, too, if it's not the sort of thing where we don't want to face them. In some ways that we, you know, that we can't bear Mm -hmm. to look at that because we feel like we don't know what to do. And I I feel like in in the sermon, um, Mm -hmm. you kind of started to cast a vision for kind of some possibilities of how we can interact with culture and the life of the church and people in community um, currently. Yeah, I've been reading a lot about church revitalization. In particular, I read a book recently just called uh, I Refuse to Serve a Dying Church. And he uses this metaphor in there, the difference between frontier Christianity versus fortress Christianity. Mm -hmm. And I think what he's really attacking in that concept is this idea of the institutionalization of the church, where the church once was an organization that went and, and, and went and reached into sort of unreached areas. Well, within the West, we've reached all those areas. Mm-hmm. And then when we reach those areas, we built buildings. Mm-hmm. Uh, we built really big buildings. You know, here we are, we're sitting in an enormous building. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, you know, and so it has this institutional effect where we think participating in church sometimes is just serving the institution. Mm-hmm. And so instead of an institution being oriented toward making disciples, making connections, welcoming, broadening the kingdom of God, it becomes about self-service, you know, mm-hmm. serving the church point of the church is to serve the members. You know, somebody would often use the analogy of calling a church a country club in that regard. You know, mm-hmm. I pay my tithe, therefore I should get the rewards, which is, you know, whatever it is, pastoral visitations, whatnot, mm-hmm. you know, all those sorts of things, a, po- a place of privilege within the church. And mm-hmm. I think it's understandable how we get to that point. But I think this is also an opportunity for the modern church to examine, you know, her behaviors to say, we should really be more embodying that frontier attitude. Even though we have this building here, it might actually serve us some good to think like we don't have 
this building here. Or if you've ever known anyone that's had a church that's caught on fire and they've lost mm-hmm. their building, it has completely changed their orientation. We have a church very close to us that did this. You know, they lost their church to a fire, you know, 10, 15 years ago, and it has sort of changed their orientation toward their neighborhood. Um, and, you know, I don't know. Sometimes I've almost thought of churches like, you know, if you've, you have a Windows computer, you've just left on for weeks and all of a sudden it can't print and things don't work. <laughs> you know, what's the answer? Reboot that thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that's sometimes that the mental exercise we need to do within churches is to, to try to let the institutional stuff that really doesn't matter fall away or examine it. And then go through this process of rebooting of saying, what do we really, really feel called to do? Who do we feel called to reach? And then marshal our resources that way. Because if we don't, there's just enough stuff going on from, you know, today we were literally exploring a water leak in our building. You know, Uh things like that, while important, will become your number one priority Uh as opposed to making disciples for Jesus Christ. Uh, and, and that's a challenge. Our congregation is not unique in that by any regard. Sure. Every church is facing this one. Um, and so I think that's a great way to think of it. Um, you know, I've heard someone like Brian McLaren describe the church as Fort Church. Yes. <laughs> Our facility can feel like that. We have a large facility. That it's it's in a beautiful location in Metro Nashville, but it's up on a hill and it's a very tall building. And so if you just see us from the street, it, you know, we look like a fort. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. You know, and so that can be used as a as a metaphor and a physical description. You know, the um I think it's we build these institutions and it's almost like the field of dreams build it build it and they'll come. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we just think we'll plant ourselves here, put out a really good sign and people just flock in because they like us. But those institutional winds have changed. Church people don't have positive affection for the church anymore. And so uh, the, the job of making disciples means going out, building relationships, speaking the good news, doing the good news. Uh, and that's something, unfortunately, we just didn't do a lot of for a yep. while. Yeah. Yeah. And all of that takes boldness. Yes, which, it does. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we talked about that. You know, we talked, I talked in, in the message about, um, you know, values. Uh, I'm, I'm fairly new here. It's been about seven months. I've been mm-hmm. here seven, eight months, somewhere in there. Seven. Yep. Seven months. Yay. Uh, and and uh, <laughs> people are always asking, what do you, you know, what do you think is your value? What's your vision for the church? Um, you know, that's something we're going to build together as a congregation as we move along. But there are things I definitely value. Uh, and I think one of those is uh, the day of the day and age of timidity is should be past us. Uh, <laughs> Uh, you, when you look at numbers like this in the face, one doesn't just wade back into tackling it. You have to dive into it. And we live in a culture that is so saturated with advertisement, entertainment options, all these things vying for our attention. So to just share the good news in this meek way um, just sort of undercuts the, the radical nature of the good news. If it really, I, I think I, I used this frame in the, in the, Sermon, if it really is something that convicts us, if it really is something we're passionate about, if it really is something that's life-changing, what's the point of sharing it timidly? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it means we need to be bold, not just for bold sake, sure. but bold sure, sure, in sure. a lot of different ways of, um, you know, we're dealing with people that, you, you know, you go to the movies, it's this enormous sensory. You know, I, I know people don't go to the movies at the same regard, but a big movie comes out, we're still going to the movies, you know, mm-hmm. Um 
And it's this big sensory experience and it's got moving music and lights. People go to concerts. It's the same type of experience. Uh, you know, people have their holiday traditions where they go to the places that do the special decorations and all these sorts of things. And if the church doesn't understand that they are in that environment, we're going to fail because we're going to do the most milk toasty, just easy to ignore things. And so that's where I think boldness plays a big role. Boldness also just comes with, frankly, spiritual competence to share the good news. In the case like our community, we're a more progressive community. We're, we're an open and affirming community that we have people of the LGBT spectrum that come here, are full members, full involved in leadership. And what's the point of being a community that does that, that doesn't want to actually share that with people? Because mm-hmm. we see that as part of the good news, full inclusion of God, God's kingdom here in this place. And it's being able just to be honest about where we are in that theological spectrum. I think that's really important. Uh, to me, the thing and uh, that undergirds all this is I think, I honestly, I just think church should be enjoyable. I use the word fun. fun. Yeah. <laughs> you know, here in the Presbyterian church, we have this, you know, what's the chief end? What's the point of being human and creating God's image? And it's to glorify God and enjoy God forever. I, I joke that I think we glorify God. We understand that but we somehow miss the enjoyment part of that. And church has unfortunately become associated with, you know, the slog, the doldrums, uh, you know, the place where you go sit and be quiet for an hour. Um, and, you know, everyone rolls their eyes when they think about committee meetings or all sorts of things. I think all these things should be infused with the sense of joy. This is why I value silliness so much. This is why I value humor. This is why I value creativity. I mean, the church should be a place that, you know, people who really love writing poetry in high school are trying to write poetry now, even though they're not professional poets. You know, the same way for songwriters and musicians, the church should be a place where we get to use the totality of our being to try and worship God in bold ways. And I think fun is sort of, you know, that enjoyment, that sense of joy is the mechanism for making that happen. Experience with that? What do you think? Oh, I love fun. You love that's, that's good. <laughs> no, I, I totally agree with everything you're saying, really, because I think for a long time the the church just thought I'm talking capital C sure, church yeah. um, that if we just do what we've always been doing, but we do it better, mm-hmm. right? If yeah, we yeah. if we make it bigger, if we make it shinier, if we make yeah. it louder, yeah, you yeah. know, all of those yeah, things, yeah. then we'll be able to compete. Mm-hmm. with the movie theaters and all of these things that's going on. And I, I don't think that's what's called for. Yeah. Um, and I don't think it's what's going to work yeah. either. Yeah. And, and that's, and that's even a, a, a difficult framing of things mm-hmm. too, to say, because when I, when we're talking about boldness or fun, right. we're not talking about competition. Absolutely. We're not trying to create this environment where it said, Oh, the church does better at movies than right. the movie theater. Correct. That's not what it is. It's just being aware that we exist in an environment where people are conditioned by those experiences. Uh, you know, we, we, we say we have something different, which is God's presence, the Holy Spirit among mm-hmm. us, you know, which allows to liven our hearts and, and add to this experience and, and inform it. So I, I do want to be clear about that. Oh, absolutely. And I think it, I, you mentioned in the sermon, too, um, that God is always calling us to new things. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's really important, especially when we think about programs and yeah. events and the way yeah. we've done things and, and thinking of the newness that God continues to offer all of us. Yeah, and, and that to me really relates back to um, the formula of change that unfortunately the church has bought into, which is... Uh, you know, this is, the, this is the, I guess it's more than an equation. It, it's one, what we think God is wanting us to do. 
minus the things we think people are going to get upset about. And that ends up equaling what we end up doing. Mm -hmm. And I, that's such a frustrating, we all do it. I mean, everyone does it. Anyone that's led anything in the church. And so I'm not just talking about pastors or elders or any of that. I'm saying anyone that's led anything in the church, that's the sort of built in equation Mm -hmm. uh, that we're doing. And, and I, where I think it really breaks down is I try to think of myself as a person that someone's considering in that equation. So they start thinking what I'm going to be offended with. And then they base their decision on what they think God wants to do, but they subtract the thing out of that decision that I think I'm going to be offended with. I think that's offensive. And the reason (laughs) I think it's offensive is because it, when you do that equation, they're thinking, I don't have the ability to respond to this godly call the way they do. Mm. You know, they're like, I don't have the ability to change or see something different. And that might very well be true. But <laughs> if you rob me of that opportunity, yeah. you've robbed me of the opportunity to change. So from mm. a leader, if you're not engaging people in that process, and if you're not pushing those bounds in ways, you are giving people permission to always remain entrenched. And you're giving people permission to not consider the new things God might be calling them to. Now, I, I want to be clear. I don't think God calls people to new things just because they're new. Sure. Uh, yeah. You know, so like, you know, God right. is not calling us to say, you know, this Bible, you know, let's, <laughs> let's get a new one. Like, I'm not, I'm not saying, I'm not saying things like that. But what I am saying is I, I think there's always possibility for growth. Sometimes it's in little subtle ways. Mm-hmm. And I think now it's time for big, bolder ways. Mm-hmm. Um, but we have to give people the opportunity and challenge them to be open to God's call in that. Mm-hmm. Uh, people are going to have objections, but there's a difference between a godly objection that just says, I think doing this compromises our ministry mm-hmm. uh, versus the type of objection, well, I have this preference. Right. And that's the, that's the, that I think that's a really big challenge because I, I'm tired of playing the game. What's the most I can get away with for making the most people happy. Mm-hmm. You know, because that, that, again, the audience that we're playing to there is the people that are here. When isn't that the entirety of the issue of the last 10 years plus, plus. is that we're, that we're only considering the people that are here and not asking the people who are here to consider who's not here. Well, now is the time we have some recommendations or deep dives, things that we think you might enjoy. Uh, I'll go first. I always make you go first. I'll go first. Okay. Because mine's really simple. I've already mentioned it. It's not that complicated. (laughs) I resolve to play more video games. I am playing Jedi Fallen Order Star Wars. I can't even remember. This is how rare I play games because I literally (laughs) don't even know the name. It's something Fallen Order. Jedi Star Wars Jedi Knights Fallen Order. It's very enjoyable. I run around with a lightsaber and there's these rats that try to attack me and I hit them with the lightsaber and uh, I enjoy it. And then my daughter walks in and says, what are you playing? And then I have to try to, while I'm playing a game, I have to try to like explain the whole mythology of Star Wars to her. So anyways, I recommend that it's, if you're, if you're a gamer, if you enjoy playing video games, it's a pretty fun game that like you can play it where you're like, you can set it on a setting where you still get through the story. Even if you're terrible at the video game, I'm on the one that like, this is for people who are terrible. This is for people who are great. I'm the one below <laughs> terrible. <laughs> well, you have the whole year to practice. Exactly. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, so mine is a Netflix show okay. this week. Uh, it's the show called Messiah. Have you seen this? I watched part of the first episode, but I was so tired. I wasn't able to finish. It's really interesting. Yeah. It's definitely not for families. 
I yeah. will say that. Um, but it is really interesting, the ideas that this figure kind of arises in the Middle East and the, the show plays out is this a Messiah figure who has come into the world and kind of how people react to that in very modern day. Yeah, I think um, it's important to understand it's not intended to be a specific Jesus analog. Correct. Because this is a Messiah, I believe, that comes up in the midst of Islam. But it is, but it's more a cult. I think it's an, you're right, an interesting understanding of the cultural dynamics of someone who might be perceived as a messiah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he, he it, his role kind of expands even beyond Islam as, oh, the, show, as the show goes on. So, I mean, it it's very interesting to watch, not based on anything true or, yeah, yeah. you know, any of those things. But I think it's kind of a, just a, a fun kind of experiment to think about those sorts of things. Here's a fun fact about that show that mm. I know. Uh, the two people created the show uh, have created two other shows. You want to guess what they are? Oh my goodness, I have no idea. Survivor and oh, and touched by an angel. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So interesting. You got that. I heard someone give a review said it was called it was like Homeland but with Jesus. That's a actually that's perfect. Is that good? Okay. That is yeah. perfect. That's so exactly it, what it is. You encouraged me. I think I might give another. Yeah. You know, I was I tried to watch it last Sunday night when I was exhausted. So yeah. I'm gonna give it give it another go. Give it a yeah. go. All the show notes, everything we talked about, they're down there in the show notes. Uh, Make sure to like, subscribe, share all these things. Uh, You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, uh, in the YouTube, subscribe to our channel, all those sort of things. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time on Deep Dive.